Hello and welcome to another Future of Real Estate podcast. I'm Damien Wilde. Modernise or die, that was the title of the landmark report by Mark Farmer on the UK construction market. Five years have passed since it was published. I know, where does time go? And a lot has happened since. Modern methods of construction have moved, well, if not quite centre stage, at least to a prominent role in the supporting cast. Much of that has been down to having an effective cheerleader in Farmer. He has helped bring government on side, as well as an increasing number of residential developers, inward investors, insurers and lenders. But in some parts of the market, a breakthrough remains elusive. Farmer talks about all this and more in this podcast, including MMC's crucial role in meeting our sustainability targets. So, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. No, good to be here, Damien. So your CV is an exhausting read. I have to say, uh, member of the Construction Innovation Innovation Hub Industry Board, the Construction Leadership Council Advisory Group, a board member for Construction Scotland Innovation Centre, national co-chair of Constructing Excellence. You sit on the ULI UK Residential Council and so much more, as well as the day job, of course. But my favourite, I think, is uh, Government MMC Champion. And that, that sounds like it should come with a title belt. You know what? What does being an MMC champion involve? Um, well, uh, to be honest, Damien, it's it, it, it was an appointment I took up in late 2019, which probably formalised what, in reality, I'd already been doing for probably four or five years um, since um, I wrote my uh, review back in 2016. Um, and five years. Yeah, scary, isn't it? It's gone very quickly. But in that intervening period, I spent a lot of time um, really trying to just sort of I suppose campaign I'm not sure whether that's the right word but just try and really raise awareness of the problems that the construction industry is facing now and and what that represents in terms of a a real need to accelerate change and and to modernize in in to, to, to use the phraseology from my report and so so that sort of evangelism, if you like, of, of what I've been pushing and what I've been trying to sort of stimulate the debate about is really, you know, what the champion role is all about. It's just really, you know, acting as a bit of a sounding board for government. It's an it's a, uh, independent role, uh, unpaid independent role. So I'm not a civil servant and um, something that, that I take quite, um, you know, I see it as a privileged position to be able to share my insights of what's happening in industry, what the challenges are and what government should be doing perhaps to accelerate those changes. So, so yeah, it was, um, it sounds very grand, but, but in reality, it's the continuation of a journey, which is not no, by no means finished, which is trying to drive the industry to a better place. Yeah. And if you cast your mind back to uh, 2016 and you think about when you publish your report, uh, Modernise or Die, and you think about what, where you might want the industry to have got to, in five years by 2021 have we got there yet um no it's, it's the simple answer to that and, uh, and that's not uh, a surprise to me i think um some of it's about the time scale so it is five years coming up to five years but i always knew and i think i said in my report this was a five to ten year journey it's a decade of change for something that you know as an industry we are a bit of an oil tanker it takes a hell of a long time to change anything that we do and um you know that that gradual need to build momentum and and, and a change of direction is not something that happens quickly even in four to five years it's not it's not something you can do what i am um positive and pleased about though is that yeah, if I was to look at who my review was um, aimed at as an audience, part of it w- was about government 
and um, uh, asking government to take a leadership position around their role as a client of the industry in terms of public works, also in terms of setting policy and how they can influence change in the industry. Um, and then part, partly, obviously, focused at the industry itself in terms of private sector uh, operators, whether they're consultants, contractors, subcontractors, and, and really importantly, clients, clients of the industry, developers, investors, those that are really reliant on construction to deliver their core businesses as well. And I would say the government side of things in terms of what government have been doing over the last four or five years, I'm, I'm very happy with, with the activities that have been going on. There's a hell of a lot um, of shift in terms of how government is acting as a client. There's a lot of um, policy change and publications around how, you know, school building, prison building, hospital buildings, all going to be done very differently in the future. In, um, and and you know, harnessing M MMC and tech digital technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The bit that was always going to be a longer burn was that journey of of the industry itself. So you know, it was an element of carrot and stick. So how much of this would be about? The, the industry recognising it has to change its ways and do it off its own volition, as opposed to being driven by government, either because government was procuring public works in a different way or actually regulations started to drive the industry in a different direction. And I think on, on that sort of industry, private sector side, we're on a, there's a variable um, speed, as I see it in, in the market at the moment. Some, some innovators are really driving ahead. Um, but you know, there's others that are perhaps sort of lagging behind a bit, and that that's just an honest reflection of of where the industry's at, and it's, it's probably no surprise. Yeah, are there some sectors that are embracing it and you know adopting it more enthusiastically than others? Uh, I think um, you know, the the housing sector is really interesting. I, most of the work I do is in residential, and uh, I would say that when it comes to the MMC discussion in particular and, and modern methods of construction and off-site manufacturing um, I would I, I think I've seen the most activity on a sector wide basis in residential uh, so there's lots of activity in that space but probably because it's becoming more and more difficult to build homes to a given quality at scale um, for all of the reasons I set out in my report around skills, mm. declining skills base, competencies and training, et cetera, it's becoming really difficult. So there's more and more people being pushed towards innovation in ho in home building and seeing an opportunity to to sort of re redefine what that process looks like and how we go about building homes. Um, so I think the, the, the resi space has been quite interesting. It's it's still, there's still a long way to go. Um, and there's probably still quite low levels of technology application. So, you know, as opposed to just building off site, part of this whole journey has to involve how we use technology and digital um, tools in a different way. And that's still quite um, very much in his infancy, I would say, uh, even in residential. So, so yeah, it's uh, there's some interesting um, sort of trends. I think the next trend you'll see is in in um, big infrastructure spending post COVID. So government's obviously um, turning up the, the 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 heat on what it wants to do around economic recovery. So we have a we already have a school building program in play. We're about to have a big hospital building program uh, launched. And you'll see the application of MMC becoming more and more of a feature of, of those big infrastructure spend programs. Okay, and we saw in the budget uh, that the Chancellor um, create a new ten million pound body to drive adoption of off-site house building. Ten million doesn't sound like an awful lot of money. Do, does more support need to be given if adoption is going to increase substantially? 
Yeah, so so that particular announcement was regarding the um, uh, the, the formation of a new task force um, from MHCLG to to drive forward um, the uptake of MMC in house building. You'll play a role in the task force, no doubt. Um, well, it's it's all being um, determined as we speak in terms of what the terms of reference will be. So I'm not going to speak uh, too soon on that. It's really it's it's a very different um, setup to my current role as champion. So so I I. Um, act as an independent advisor. This is much more about MHCLG taking direct control of their strategy, which I think is a good thing. Um, and uh, bringing, you know, really having a dedicated task force um, living and breathing this day to day. But that 10 million is, 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 is partly around just manning that task force. And there'll be some specific things that come out of it that require funding as initiatives. But to be honest, the bulk of the money that's being put into um, modernization from government is coming through things like the affordable homes program. So, you know, you have a 12 billion pound affordable homes program for the next five years of which um, a big, a significant element of that, particularly amongst the larger housing associations and local authorities has got an element of mandate for use of MMC. So there is actually, if you unpick all the investments that are being made at the moment, there's, there's um, hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds being allocated towards promotion of MMC in home building, which has got to be a positive thing. Okay. And last summer, we saw the, the housing minister talk about um, shared minimum standards for, for assessing homes built by MMC. And the goal there was to uh, open up mortgage and insurance products, which I remember when your report came out, that, that was a concern, whether the, the finance sector would be so willing to embrace that. Has that, has that begun? Has that, uh, again, reached a critical mass where, where the finance uh, sector is comfortable? Yeah, so so again, it's not um, we're not at full maturity, but we we've got a much better position than we um, we had say three or four years ago. So we we have growing confidence amongst major lenders, mortgage lenders, and also um, investment finance providers, because actually uh, this this is an issue that also affects the likes of housing associations. If they want to build using MMC, then they have to make sure they can securitize lending on their, their portfolios in the future. Many of them are, are using loans to, to fund their development programs, etc. So they don't want to be caught out having um, built stock that can't be securitized, hasn't got um, the same security value. So this whole uh, confidence of can you finance MMC has got a hell of a lot better over the last few years. And some of that's just about banks realizing this is a mainstream part of the market. Now it's not going away. This is increasingly going to become a feature and just starting to get more and more comfortable and familiar with the different systems that are available, what MMC really means. A lot of people have different um, uh, uh, ideas of what MMC actually represents. Some people think it's this modular construction. In reality, it's a whole host of different techniques that you can use to build homes. Um, and um, that that confidence in both the financing and the insurance markets, which are the two critical elements um, to, to, to enabling the market to mature, um, are gradually being eased. But there's still work to, to do and a lot of that is about the unification of technical standards that you referred to um, and the collaboration agreement that was announced last year by the housing minister um, is an important sort of step forward in that um, in that journey but we still have a way to go. And we are seeing some um, some quite innovative, perhaps away from the consumer end of the market, some quite innovative ways of um, of accessing finance potentially. And we saw the UK's first modular um, B corporation, Boutique Modern, um, pop up only recently. So there there is some pushing at the margins as well, isn't there? 
there is and you know i think it's the you know, the boutique modern example is a it's a really good one because it shines a light on an sme um player in the in the in the modular space in that particular instance um who've got really focused on um how their product can play a role in those broader aims and broader societal challenges that we have whether it's social value and local employment down in new haven and i've been to their factory it's a it's a really good honest local setup where they're doing great work and um have got good relations with their local council and delivered um highly energy efficient scheme low good carbon credentials so that it's really playing out to the true sort of definition of ESG and hence the B Corp accreditation, which is all credit to them, you know, re- really shows what can be done if you put your mind to it around um, the proper application of MMC and not just having, you know, being a big player. You can be a, a an SME player and still make a difference here. You mentioned a, a few things there, which, um, you know, perhaps MMC sits at the heart of a few governmental societal ambitions, perhaps that, you know, greater participation by SMEs in the um, in the house building sector, you know, sustainability being a challenge that uh, one of those you know challenges that perhaps um, perhaps adoption has uh, or awareness and commitment has increased over the last 12 months, perhaps. And also those those house building targets, which are felt some you know some distance away 300,000 homes a year you know or whichever number you'd you'd choose to pick is is it a Venn diagram is um is MMC at the center of this and it playing a part in making all of those things happen yeah I I think it is Damien I think you know if you look at MMC it's really important to recognize MMC is just the means to an end it's not a means it's, it's not an end in itself it's basically a method so about changing the methods by which we build and the end game here is ultimately all those things you just referenced so what we're trying to achieve here is additionality trying to drive how we build more homes per per year at a, a higher quality and every time we've increased quantity in the past quality suffered so and that's because of the constraints we have on traditional labor we stress we stress our, our, our workforce too much and things things fail um so we have a big issue around how we drive additionality of de- delivery in the market we have a big issue around consumer confidence which i'm is linked at its um most apparent level to building safety so obviously post grenfell there's a big debate going on about how we build homes safely and you know with life safety at their heart and you know that that's a critically important element of reviewing the physical process by which we design and build there's some interesting tensions in that with how mmc and building safety sometimes are seen as being um uh, mutually exclusive and that's that for me is is an error of thinking and it's but it's there's an issue of making sure that we're really clear how we're going to do mmc safely in terms of the materials we're using the accreditation systems that we're we're, we're signing off on going back to the previous point um so for me the method should be a proxy moving things to a factory environment should be a proxy for better quality because so much of the risk in what we build is is leaving things to be done you know on a, on a cold wet building site um you know by by transient workforce which is always going to be a risk uh, i think the other point you, you mentioned there is sustainability the the carbon uh, agenda is accelerating um in 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 terms of how we reduce um, our, our total carbon footprint built environment is a massive, massive contributor to, to, to emissions at the moment, both in operational carbon, but also the embodied carbon of the construction process. So MMC, when done well, um, can absolutely be attacking that on all fronts, both the energy efficiency of the buildings we, we complete, but also the process 
of, of delivering those buildings is a much more effective and productive process that's less carbon intensive. Um, and then that point about social value, social inclusion, diversity of the, of the manufacturing supply chain, great opportunity for the MMC market to be inclusive here by not just big factories um, dominating the market, but by having aerospace and automotive where you have some big names on point but actually they have hundreds of businesses sitting below them many smes included that actually do deliver the um the 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 the, the, the physical work in in terms of assembling manufactured content and i think it could be exactly the same for manufacturing buildings and homes so i think you extended the list i, I began with rightly um you could probably add productivity um up, need to upskill the workforce uh, to that as well but um rather rather than dwell on that i'll just ask um a little about uh you know the sector as a global sector really and we have seen some very big overseas players um come over here the most celebrated being sekisui perhaps do you expect others to follow and are, are they are those that are here making a difference in the market yeah, yeah, I think um, that there's clearly a signal being sent by the UK government uh, that um, you know we're open for business when it comes to um, international best practice. I think there's a there's a very fine line here between not importing solutions that do damage to the UK economy. There's clearly a political imperative to keep um, to, to maximise GDP and to maximise employment. This is more about know-how and intellectual property. So actually um, being able to get access to world-leading know-how and um, thinking around how you manufacture um, buildings and particularly homes rather than build them in a very traditional way um, I think is a massive step forward and, and Sekisui House coming to the UK was very much around um, uh, that, that business seeing opportunity here um, supported by the UK government and, and you know at the highest levels um, but actually then partnering with a UK um, uh, business through Urban Splash. So doing it in a local context you um, and uh, understanding how they can access the market underst and, and understand our the ways in which development is done, which is very different to Japan. So through Urban Splash, having that, that landing point um, is really important. And, you know, a, a, a factory here in the UK that's delivering um, the products on the ground. What what will come, and it's still early days, but I know it's going to come, is the innovation and the, the R&D that Sekisui House lead on in Japan will gradually feed through into the, U, into the UK products that they deliver here. And I think that's really exciting. So, I, and I do expect more to come. So we've had Daiwa House, more recently, another Japanese player um, has, uh, uh, is looking to set up actually in Wales in that particular instance on the back of discussions with the Welsh government. So that again shows you the sort of politics of, of what's involved here around making sure that countries are open for business. Um, and you have Baklu as well, the the, the IKEA Skanska joint venture from Scandinavia um, setting up here in the UK. So I think it's really exciting. I think the internationalism uh, of, of this whole modernisation agenda is is really vibrant and it's something that we should be embracing you sound like you spent more time with politicians that you might have expect, expected to six or seven years ago <laughs> yeah I, yeah it's um it's one of those things i've probably desensitized um a bit to to that whole sort of journey but it's important because ultimately you know policy setting is about making sure politicians understand the benefits here in the broadest sense. It's also really important in my experience to make sure it's apolitical. So I've always been very clear to, um, that this is a, a, a long-term challenge for the construction industry, which needs cross-party political consensus. It's no point 
having the, the fear that actually if there's a change of government, all of a sudden you have a change of policy that's going to suddenly um, lead to to um, everything as a direction of travel changing. So, and I'm I'm pretty certain for all discussions I've had at both national government and regional and mayoral city level governments, both of all political colours, that everyone recognises that MMC and construction modernisation um, is a is a necessary ambition to to underpin economic growth. Okay, and you meant we've talked a lot about house building and you mentioned infrastructure. We haven't really touched on commercial. Is that because MMC hasn't penetrated commercial and would you expect that to change? Yeah, so it's an interesting question, Damon. I think the reality is commercial buildings, whether they're offices or um, retail assets or, or, or whatever, they, they, they um, in some ways, they're um, they're already manufactured. So many of these buildings are built using steel frames, for instance, and you know, structural steel is very much a manufacturing-led solution. So a lot of people don't realize they're actually using modern methods anyway in a lot of the commercial buildings that are already being delivered. Many of the higher um, uh, high-rise schemes in, in big towns and cities have quite complex engineering services systems or facade systems that are tending to be manufactured. So they have quite high levels of pre-manufactured content anyway. I think the, the the thing that makes it more difficult to look at uh, sort of an industrialised level is the fact that that market, the commercial market, is obviously private sector driven. It's all about institutional um, capital, private equity, um, uh, development um, project project finance from, from um, to uh, to one off developers. It's quite a fragmented market. The the drivers are very much around um, uh, ensuring that. That, that, that returns are maximised, whether it's development profit or yields on build-to-rent schemes or whatever. So actually, the, the thinking behind why would I want to experiment with MMC or manufacturing is, is there's a there's there's a lot more question marks over it. Probably quite rightly in terms of you know what's the business case for doing it. I think what's going to really drive change in the commercial market is going to be ESG. So the the, the ESG agenda for for funding. Uh, for commercial assets in terms of the refinancing and the um, downstream of those assets is going to actually drive certain credentials that are going to force developers to have to build those assets in a different way, both in terms of the physical process they use, but also the materiality of the schemes, the engineering services that they put into the schemes, because we're already seeing that some investors are starting to say, well, no, actually, on based on those credentials, I'm not going to invest. So I think that will force change positively change um, in the, even even the commercial market, which has always been pretty hard-nosed and resistant, perhaps, to, to longer-term change. Well, that would be interesting to see. And um, we're almost out of time. But at the beginning, you said, um, when I asked you around that five-year journey to this point, you said you saw it as a, a five to 10-year conversion. H- how do you see the next five years playing out? Yeah, so I think um, I'm hoping that the direction of travel and the momentum I sense has been building and, it, and, and if anything, COVID has perhaps accelerated some of that as well. It's forced the issue in many respects around need to have to find different ways of doing things. I'm hoping that momentum continues to build. And if anything, there, there may even be a bit of a hockey stick, you know, unless, providing we don't have some big cataclysmic macroeconomic problem post-COVID, and it increasingly looks as though that that's a less likely prospect, which has got to be positive for real estate, um, then I'm hoping that everyone sees an opportunity to, to 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 embrace that change agenda as i say i think some of those external drivers whether it is building safety whether it is the carbon climate change agenda is going to force this issue anyway as i say it's about what which businesses want to get ahead 
of that and actually decide to do it off their own back as opposed to being forced there through legislation. So I'm 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 pretty positive actually. I think I think we've got an interesting five years ahead. It's going to be exciting. Great. Well, we must get you back on before 2026, but um, we'll do so then, if not. Mark, thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, sir, to Mark Farmer. This is a big decade for real estate, and it's hard to imagine we'll meet the challenges of net zero, accelerated delivery of homes, upskilling or productivity without a hefty reliance on MMC. It may not be the whole answer, but it's a sizable part of it. Thank you for listening and please do join me for another Future of Real Estate podcast next month. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.